It is the biggest risk to the global economy that nobody is talking about. Okay, maybe that's a bit of a clickbait headline from CNN.com. But with 400 million currently under lockdown across 45 cities in China, just what sort of reverberations? That's what everybody's wondering about. What sort of repercussions, reverberations could the world economy and Canada's in particular feel? Here's personal finance expert Rabina Ahmed Hawk, who joins us now for more on this. Rabina, good afternoon. Good afternoon. All right, 400 million, I mentioned, under lockdown right now in China. Just how sizable is the hole that they are leaving in what is the world's second largest economy? Well, we know that many products that we use are made in China, and they obviously are export are brought from China uh, to be spread out across the world, exported, imported across the world. 20% of the freight that comes out of China, comes out of the port of Shanghai. And that port is right now not operating. And so that means that uh, there is a lot of goods, and goods that are going to be either stuck on land, um, and there's also going to be a lot of products that are simply not going to be able to get to China uh, in order to make those products. The one thing right now that I'm finding really surprising is that nobody, you know, it, I know it was a clickbait headline for sure, but no one's even talking about the fact that China's under lockdown, a part of it at least. Um, it's, it's as if COVID is over and nobody's really concerned anymore about what's happening anywhere else in the world. Yeah, because these 400 million that are under lockdown right now, they represent some 40% or $7.2 trillion of the GDP for uh, China. And to your point, uh, not only are goods not moving uh, out, uh, being shipped out, but is the larger concern here that uh, workers aren't uh, on the job right now and things are not being built, goods are not being produced. And I mean, the supply chain being backed up is one thing, but when you don't have goods actually being produced, is it going to take even longer for things to, I mean, I don't think they've been back to normal as you and I have been talking about, Rubina, for a couple of years since the pandemic began. We're still trying to work our way out of the supply chain problem. Well, this is the problem, right, is that um, we already have a very vulnerable system. And so when something extra happens, it shakes what is already a pretty fragile uh, situation happening. So this is what happened during the B.C. floods. This is what happened during the trucker convoy for two Canadian examples. This is what happened during the blockade in the Suez Canal. And this is, again, now it's happening with the lockdowns in Asia. So we can expect, you know, when you go to grocery stores right now, we were all worried back at the beginning of the pandemic how there was going to be shortages. I never saw shelves except for the toilet paper aisle empty. But now it's not uncommon to go to any store and see parts of the, the grocery store or the pharmacy uh, which with their shelves empty because that, that truck has not been able to get to the store and that maybe because the ship that carries those products hasn't been able to get to the port. Um, all of that is connected. And so even a small disruption, which this is not, um, is going to create reverberations across the world. All right. So bottom line, are we going to see prices go even higher, do you think? I mean, you and I were just talking last week about the Bank of Canada raising the interest rate. And I was reading this morning, there's some early indications that that has indeed had a bit of an effect on housing prices, that we're starting to see some cooling in the housing market. So just as some relief might be on the horizon for Canadians, do you think what's going on right now with these lockdowns, 400 million in China, that we undoubtedly are going to see even higher prices in the months to come? Yeah, so economists are saying that what's happening in Asia right now could have a knock-on effect of about six months. So that could mean that we see higher prices on things that are in the highest demand. So some grocery store items, uh, computer chips, 
some tech items that we are used to finding in abundance. Uh, they may not be available. Um, and if they are available, they'll be at full price or more. And if you do get it, it might take, if you are able to purchase it, it might take you a couple of weeks to get it. So that's, there's two things happening. Not only are prices being impacted where we're paying more for the items now than we were a year or two years ago, we're also having to wait. Uh, one example, Jeff, I want to give you is a furniture store uh, that is um, get, letting people know that, you know, there is a delay um, and that if you want to return your item, there's a restocking fee to return the furniture. So people sign, you know, knowing this, and then they tell them, well, your item's not going to arrive for six months. So they have two choices. Either they lose money by restocking it, or they wait six months for that couch or that table to arrive. So there's a lot of uh, things happening right now on the retail side that I've never seen before, where companies are trying to protect themselves and their own profits. Yeah, just a side note, bit of a personal story. We have a friends, and I hate to tell you this, Rubina, because I know you're in the midst of a renovation yourself, but they were uh, doing a renovation, ordered a new stove, and it took 17, that's right, one seven, 17 months to arrive. It finally got to their house this past Thursday. They're overjoyed. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness, have they been have they just been microwaving TV dinners for 17 months? Poor guys. Yeah, that's a lot of skip the dishes. That's a lot of takeout. Yeah, uh, yeah no kidding. Here with the uh, Rubina Ahmed Hawk, our personal finance expert. Uh, Rubina, also, of course, lots of talk about Elon Musk and his bid, some $43 billion to buy Twitter. Can you give us an update here on this Monday afternoon? What is the latest there? Yeah, so Elon Musk wants to buy Twitter. He wants to take it private. Um, and the reason he says he wants to do that is because he feels that he can take the, the, the company to the next level. Now, I know shareholders in some cases are very upset about what's happening. They, they don't feel like they're getting their fair share. But the one thing that really annoys me about this entire story is that we really have to take a hard look at how much power we're giving to individuals right now, because there are a number of multi-billionaires. It's only a matter of time before we have a trillionaire and they control um, companies that are essential to our everyday lives. So Twitter, for example, for businesses, in some cases, is essential. For news gathering, it's essential. It's become, it's just become a part of what we do on an everyday, on an ongoing basis. And so uh, whether shareholders are getting rich or Elon Musk is getting rich, I don't really care. What really bothers me is that one person is able to ch fundamentally change a company that the world has become so used to in 15 years. So that's the latest, Jeff, from, from my perspective. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so he's continu uh, continuing to pursue it. Yeah. So having said that, though, do you think that Twitter, are they going to accept this offer? I mean, when it broke on Friday, $43 billion, I mean, that's an eye-popping number. I don't care who you are or how big your company is. But the latest uh, that I've been reading this morning on this is that uh, Twitter's board believes that uh, maybe that uh, is not enough, that they're uh, considering turning down this offer because a lot of people thought that they couldn't because $43 billion was just too good to be true, too good of an offer that uh, you've got to do right by the shareholders and uh, maximize you know, their profits. But uh, I'm hearing today that uh, they're likely to turn this bid down perhaps. Well, here's the thing, right? It's comparing it to putting your home on the market and getting 40 bids and then all of a sudden thinking, wow, maybe my house is worth more than I thought it was or getting a bid that's so inflated that you couldn't believe 
uh, that someone's willing to pay that. And then you think, well, actually, if they're willing to pay that, maybe someone else is willing to pay more. Maybe this is worth. So this is really what's happening. And this is why people are also upset because Elon Musk has a, 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 a huge chunk of Twitter shares that are also gaining in value while he himself is bidding for the company, which is why this makes this whole process so unfair. So whether he gets Twitter or not, he gets richer. And that is, I think, what is on the on the outside is what's making um, is making people very is 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 upsetting shareholders and individuals watching this story unfold. Is that no matter what he wins, he wins. Um, although he says economics don't matter, they absolutely are factoring into this. So what you just described there is that the so-called pump and dump that uh, Musk and others have been accused of uh, in the past that they'll uh, buy shares, they'll buy into a company, and of course because they have a following, they have a voice that uh, they can attract uh, some heat, some attention to it. All of a sudden, the stock price goes up. They cash out and make some money. Yeah, and the problem is, is that now just like we have populist politics, we now have populist business people. So Elon Musk, and this is not the first time he's done this is he'll tweet something or he'll put something on social media, like Dogecoin is a good example, and all of a sudden the value of that skyrockets. And we don't know how much he benefits financially from it. Um, you have to dig deep to see how much does he own of it, uh, what's his stake in it. And this is, you know, it is, it, it's not classic pump and dump, but it is, he is using his name, which is associated with big business, uh, to inflate the price of a company that was worth far less just a couple of weeks ago. And that, if he makes money off of that, is, uh, is, is criminal. I mean, he shouldn't be able to do that. So are regulators going to have to look into this, do you think, just finally here, Rabina? Because, uh, again, this might be a case of uh, the law lagging behind or regulations lagging behind technology. We've talked about this as so often when it comes to, you know, cybercrime and uh, ransomware and that sort of thing that the law is playing catch up. Is that the same thing when it comes to, uh, you know, financial regulators? Do they need to uh, kind of rethink things here? I think if Elon Musk buys the company um, and the shareholders agree to it, then there probably won't be anything to investigate. But if, for example, he backs out of it and still owns the shares that he created, he artificially pumped up, then there could be um, a reason to investigate why he even sought Twitter as a company that he wanted to buy. What was his real motivation and how rich did he get off of it just by putting his name up for uh, possibly owning the company? All right. To be continued. We'll be watching with interest. Also to be continued is uh, Rabina. You're actually uh, hosting on point uh, this week, starting tonight, Rabina. Yes, I am. I'm filling in for Alex Pearson all this week. I'm super excited about it from seven to 10. Um, I'll be in the chair. I hope everybody will be listening and uh, letting me know what they think. I always am interested in knowing what people think. Alex and I have a very different point of view, although I really respect Alex <laughs> and I know it's big shoes to fill. So it will be interesting to see how uh, people react to me being on the program. All right. Going to be great. Can hardly wait for it later tonight. As you mentioned, 7 p.m. on the radio station you are currently listening to. Rabina, thanks as always. Appreciate it. We'll be listening tonight. Thanks so much, Jeff. You bet. Rabina Ahmed Hawk with us. And we're back after a break. You're listening to The Jeff MacArthur Show. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. 
All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. (laughs) For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.